Welcome to Episode 6 of Talking Higher Ed. I'm John Neal, President of Gen Ed Consulting. Our guest today is Dr. Lori Shanderson, who's the founding dean of the new School of Health Sciences at North Central University, which is a fully online graduate school. Our conversation focuses on the challenges and opportunities of starting a school, particularly within a virtual organization. With thanks to producer and engineer Grant Neal, we hope you enjoy this episode of Talking Higher Ed. Lori, thanks so much for being with us and for coming out uh, from downtown to to talk with us. What a wonderful opportunity you have, or and a very unique opportunity to start a school from scratch, a school of health sciences for North Central University. And um, just thought before we um, go back to sort of the beginning of things, I'd love to start where you are right now. So the School of Health Sciences, what your dreams, aspirations, goals, those kinds of things. Okay, well, right now, I guess I'm in close to the final stage of developing the School of Health Sciences. The School of Health Sciences at NCU is unique because not only are we online, but we use the one-to-one model, and we're using it under the framework of interprofessional education. So interprofessional education, or IPE, is really one of the metrics that most health professions use nowadays um, to measure or really to make sure that students have the competencies to be able to work together in the health professions. So to have that as the umbrella of what we do in our School of Health Sciences just makes us unique and amazing, and it makes the focus on what we do as healthcare practitioners and educators it just makes us much more cohesive. It, it ensures that we understand what we're doing. We understand teamwork and collaboration and how by doing these collaborative efforts, we can get patients to better outcomes. We make the system more efficient. Um, I'm really happy about that because I can build a school with this framework in mind. And uh, many other people are trying to infuse different themes in their programs, but we get to be NCU's School of Health Sciences um, that focuses on IPE. So. I'm really proud of that and happy about that. So one of the underlying pieces about IPE then is the ability not just to work as a team, but to be open to the variety of perspectives. We all come from different professional constructs, so we may even approach problems or situations with a a different filter, that sort of thing, which allows us to have a more robust kind of problem solving absolutely and that happens all the time in healthcare if you think about it practitioners have typically been trained in silos Mm -hmm. you know the physical therapists trained separate from the nurses trained separate from the occupational therapist the respiratory therapist yet all of these people come together to help a patient reach their health goals and so without that communication without that teamwork without that knowledge of what one does versus what the other does, we really can't provide optimal care. So teamwork, collaboration, communication, all very important in healthcare. Wow, that sounds great. When I think about health sciences, health professions, that's such a broad field. How did you decide how broadly to build the programmatic areas and and how are you sequencing it and why? How, How did you decide 
what to target and then what are you going after in which kind of order? Well, we, you know, I guess NCU originally presented me with a list and they said, what do you think about this list? And of course, some things were better options than others. Um, We know that there's some fields in healthcare, believe it or not, that are saturated, even though there's a great need. Um, Some schools have programs that we really didn't need to replicate and might be hard to do in our platform. So I really went with low-hanging fruit. And for me, that meant what's my comfort level? What do we need? Um, What's needed in the industry? And that was, of course, health administration, healthcare management. Um, I also have a lot of good resources, connections. So I knew it was going to be not easy, but it would be um, enjoyable and a good option to build um, this program. And I'm really excited about it. There's a lot of excitement among my peers for what we're doing at NCU. And um, it just was a really good option for us. So I decided to start with the master's in health administration. And then we're going to have a doctor of health administration degree. And then we'll go into nursing. So we definitely have other ideas to grow the school, but we wanted to start off pretty solid with a strong foundation, and the health administration and the nursing will give us that. That's great. You know, I I have folks talk to me all the time who um, have an opportunity either to build or rebuild, take in a new direction, sort of that entrepreneurial opportunity. And um, I have found that it's a balancing act between doing appropriate due diligence, you know, being as planful, mindful as possible. But a lot of times it also really clicks when you see how the stars are aligning in terms of resources, people, opportunities, where their expertise is, or you have significant relationships Mm -hmm. with organizations that open doors and do all of that. So, it you know again my experience is it can't just all be we built this perfect strategic plan and just put it into place because we found the perfect data to right. support that that some of it also has to be attracting the right kind of people who keep their eyes open their heads up see what's going on as well absolutely and you know believe it or not um, I have a lot of support from schools and peers that you would say are in competitive programs um, to ours. But, you know, we all believe that there's a little light under the sun for everybody and there's Mm -hmm. enough to go around. And we try to make sure that the profession maintains its integrity by what we teach and the consistency in what we provide. We're not so competitive that we don't want there to be consistency and quality in the education that students have. And um, those relationships you know, and the support that you get from your peers and other programs and from the professional organizations have definitely facilitated what I'm doing in the School of Health Sciences. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have strong relationships with several organizations that really support what we're doing. They, They are ready to give advice and to lend help when we need it. It really is an amazing, amazing opportunity. And it just kind of speaks to everything that I've thought was a best practice, everything I've built in my career to build these relationships to then now have them come and be so much, so beneficial to me as I build this school. Hmm. It, it just, it makes me feel really good and supported and it, it makes me feel really happy because here I am saying, hey guys, I'm going to go off and have this program and start this school. And they're like, yeah, that's awesome. And how can we help? 
And, you, you know, that, that might sound a little um, unique in this space, but I really have had a lot of support from, you know, R1s to community colleges and just all over. It's been, it's been really, really great. That's wonderful. Um, I want to pull back then to the practical side of what you're experiencing, because you're going to be coming pretty close to your one-year anniversary here pretty soon. Uh, oh, well, I've hit it. You've hit it. You mean it. the school or me? Uh, you, you. You've hit your one-year one, one anniversary. Yep. So kind of in, in retrospect, mm-hmm. that first year of coming on board, and... Um, there, there are challenges that go with, well, uh, from both sides. You're starting something new, but you're building something new within an existing organization. And so um, if you were a standalone starting mm-hmm. new, there would be certain challenges that yes. go along with that. But starting something new in an, an, an established organization mm-hmm. also brings um, challenges as well. So when you think about this last year, Mm -hmm. I I think this would be really instructive for our listeners about where are some of those top um, challenges for you, um, frustrations, things Mm -hmm. maybe you knew they were going to happen and you were prepared for them, or maybe they were a big (laughs) surprise. Well, I'll tell you, um, when you're new to any organization, it takes some time to understand the culture. Mm. And that is something that we typically take for granted. You can't just kind of walk in the door and, and move with gangbusters. You kind of have to know where you are, learn where you are, learn what you don't know, um, and learn what you need to know and who you need to know. Having to learn the organizational culture in the midst of building something aggressively is a super challenge. You know, you can't just sit back and just kind of pontificate on the grassy knoll about what's going on at the institution. You're coming in and you're building and you're trying to understand at the same time. And that can be very challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, Organizational culture is different. And and when you're trying to learn what doors to knock on, where the resources um, are stored, where, where to find the pencils, it's very different when you're trying to build at the same time, get programs accredited. So I would say that the biggest challenge is really learning the organization, learning how we do things that might seem very basic but are different from one institution to another. And, um, you know, just really trying to organize and um, just have a, a, good, a good plan for that. You know, I, I, can't, I can't state that enough. I think that my year has been spent really understanding processes at the institution and learning who people are and what their roles really are, aside from their titles. And um, just knowing who could help me move things forward and knowing what I needed to do at this institution versus being someplace else. Yeah, I think for any new employee, that's a, a challenge. But when you're trying to figure out how to b- create something that will function within an existing organization, you know, moving from organizational chart and policy handbook Mm -hmm. to the reality of this is how it works. Right. And you and I were talking earlier, sometimes it even goes down to the personalities that 
um, run certain offices and there's a certain approach that works for those folks and it doesn't work for others. I can remember when I was a dean a million years ago um, and I would be or, um, providing orientation for new assistant professors and uh, we'd walk them around the building and show them where their office was going to be and introduce them to a variety of people. And I would always bring the professor back into my office and they were always so eager to please, you know, and I would sit there quietly with them for a minute. And I said, now it's really important for you to understand that there's one person you must never, ever tick off. And they would go, you. And I'd go, no, 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 the departmental secretary. Right. You tick her off. Your classes will be held in the draftiest mm-hmm. or hottest or the uh, classroom. You know, you'd, everything that you need to have done, she's the, not because she was a demanding person, but because she can either make your life really wonderful or not. And so just don't forget. And, uh, you know, it, it re- really has proven to be true for me, treating everybody well uh, is never a bad idea. Right. But also understanding folks have have an approach to language and relating mm-hmm. that there's a way for them to feel like you value you. And and that just doesn't happen overnight. It really doesn't. No, you, you kind of have to, you have to earn your wings. Um, you know, you have to get accepted by the group. Mm-hmm. They have to understand you and you know, more importantly, you have to understand them. You're walking into a situation and, and uh, you may have your own ideas about how things should be. And we bring a lot of that with us. You know, it was like that where I used to work. And you have to remember and respect the new culture, the new organization, the new relationships that you have to build. And I totally agree with you with treating everyone with respect and building strong relationships because it's true. Those supporting roles um, that don't tend to be on the higher pay grades, um, so to speak, are really the ones that move things along at the institution. And so you must treat them with respect. You have to make sure they understand the process and what you're trying to achieve. And you have to give them the opportunity to provide some insight and feedback as to what works well, what doesn't work well, when you communicate or need something from them. And, um, you know, those little things you, you spend some time on, but they're so important in, in building relationships and um, in facilitating processes. It, it's just, it can't be understated. I know North Central isn't your first virtual organization no. to work for, but to what degree, everything we've just talked about, to what degree is it harder or easier in a virtual organization versus a face-to-face physical office environment? Well, you know, I find, because I have a background in both, um, before North Central, I was assistant dean and associate dean at Stockton University in Galloway, New Jersey, um, state school. You know, we had a huge uh, collective bargaining unit there, just very different than uh, the for-profit world. But there are some things that are the same. Institutions still need students in order to remain viable. Uh, We're still concerned about rigor in many instances. We still have challenges with faculty needs and desires. Um, You know, the challenges are different because the platform is different. Mm. With more face-to-face institutions 
having distance learning, some of those challenges are now being shared, but you know, they come with a different set. So I'll just give you this example. Working virtually gives me the opportunity to put in longer days and my time is much more focused. I'm not spending time traveling. When I get in the office, getting coffee, being interrupted by a bunch of different things, even someone stopping by to say hello. So my time and efforts are much more focused. Um, Sometimes, you know, it is helpful, though, to be able to walk down the hall and have a discussion with someone Mm -hmm. instead of sending an email or waiting until they get back to you. But it really is a good environment to work in. At least it has been for me. I'm much more productive in this environment than when I was face-to-face. But the challenges face-to-face and and the virtual, they're unique based on the, you know, just the type of work situation that you have. I wouldn't say one is better than the other. If you're not used to working virtually, you'll find that you probably will work a lot harder. A lot of people think you're working from home and you, yeah, I might work in my pajamas, uh, but, (laughs) you know, my day will start earlier without that commute and my day may end later because of it, or I may check things later on. It's good to create some balance for yourself, but um, it's very rewarding work. Well, it's great to hear and and you do it very well. I... um... I have found for me, you know, uh, when I'm advising online students, when I'm advising faculty who are teaching in an online environment, being able to establish boundaries and also to manage expectations, you know, having um, sometimes when students sign on for an online class and they hear the 24-7, you know, you, you can have access to it any time. Um, It's just helpful for faculty to say, look, when I hear from you, if I get a message from you, I promise to respond to you in this timeline. Or if you submit um, an assignment, I I promise to have it uh, graded Mm -hmm. and with comments back. If you don't set some time parameters. So I'm finding (laughs) the same thing is true even for my administrative work, Mm -hmm. which is when people send me things to, to very quickly say, how soon do you need this back mm-hmm. as a, and letting them know if I can accomplish that or not. So I avoid the whole, well, it's number 10 on my to-do list. It might be number one on their list. Right. And then they're grinding their teeth mm-hmm. waiting for me to get it done. So having those conversations about expectations are really important. It's it's also funny there there are the folks that forget that you have a million other things to do. Right. So they <laughs> they are in crisis mode and right. it happens. We all get into crisis yes. mode. And so rather than sending it and saying, "Look, my hair is on fire and mm-hmm. I have this crisis, can you help me?" They send it and say, "I need for you to do this and I need it back by the end of the day." Right. So then you have to be the bad cop mm-hmm. and say, "Well, no, that's not going to happen." Yeah. So. And you know what reminds me of that is sometimes I am in the position where I need something right away. Mm. And I'll, I'll send an email and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's 10 minutes. I don't have a response. <laughs> and then I remember, oh, they're probably like me and have a million things to do. So I typically will say, um, if you need something back from me, you, you've got to give me some time. There are some people that really, um, I wouldn't say abuse that, but they'll send me something and say, can you respond by the end of the day when I really need more time to do that? So That's funny. Yeah, you know, it... it <laughs> 
For me, that's that's the challenge of a virtual situation, because in person, when somebody would walk up and hand you something or put something on your desk and you're looking eye to eye, they tend to back up just a little bit and they're not quite so demanding or forget Mm -hmm. about those contexts. Whereas when you as we all know, you'll say things on email that you would never say in person. So (laughs) being able to to uh, moderate that a little bit. Um, So we had talked about uh, so many of the folks that listen to this podcast are folks that either aspire to leadership positions in higher ed or even thinking about getting into higher ed. Mm -hmm. So I love to ask folks um, the big question of how in the world did you end up here? So talk us through you know, your tra- career trajectory, how did you get started? What, what attracted you? Did, was this where you ultimately, did you know early on, mm-hmm. this is where you wanted to go? That sort of thing. Okay. Well, this is a, this will be an interesting story. Well, when I was about 14, I was a candy striper, you know, back in the day when we wore the little pinafores and, I the, do. and I thought I wanted to be a nurse. And that was fine, um, but then the following year, I was 15, and my mother died. Mm. She was in the hospital for three days before she died, and just being in the hospital, I knew that I, I didn't have the stomach for it. I didn't like to see her in that state, and I didn't think I could watch other people in that state. So I knew that I wanted to stay in healthcare, but I knew it couldn't be on that end of it. When I got to school, um, SUNY at Buffalo, for my undergraduate degree, I decided to try different internships to see what I wanted to do. So I worked at the VA, I worked at a nursing home, which I loved, and I worked at a hospital because I I wanted to be sure which area I wanted to go into. And I really liked the administrative part of it. And I knew that that's where I I think I would um, be best suited. So I went on for my master's degree and then um, my doctoral degree. And I was working as a research scientist, and then I started to adjunct teaching courses because I I thought that would be fun to do. And I got um, better and better at it, so much so that at the time I was at South University, we were very small. We would have um, meetings around the small dinner table with all of the faculty, and you you know how big they are now, that at least the distance ed section was very small at the time. And now I understand when they have faculty meetings, they they have like conference hall halls. <laughs> We used to sit around one table, and that was representing every discipline. So they asked if I wanted to become a program director and just kind of manage um, the healthcare management side of the house undergrad, and we were starting a grad program. So I started the grad program there along with um, one of the person who left maybe a month after I started, so I was by myself there too. Wow. But I was building an institution that really had already established the program. It was Mm -hmm. just by, by myself. So I had that experience, and... Um, you know, that was, that was fun. And then they said, well, do you want to come on board full time? And I was commuting with my research job and I said, sure, I'll try it. And I just had the opportunity to grow from there. I think that my progression was very focused and deliberate because I always thought about what I wanted to do in terms of my next step. And I said, what skills do I need, you know, to become an assistant dean? What do I need to become an associate dean and dean? What type of of experiences do I need to have? Who do I need to speak to? How do I need to develop these skills and get exposure to these things so that I can um, master them? And that typically is what 
is, is my strategy for moving up the next level, is really understanding what's required, how to um, maximize that skill set, how to develop it and, and be strong. And, um, you know, that's pretty much how I, I got here today. You know, my daughter says to me, oh, mommy, you'll be um, a president one day. And I'm like, you know, I don't know, because I really like the operation side of things. So I think maybe I'd like to be a provost. Um, I'm not sure I'd ever become a president, but I like the idea of working. I like the idea of strategy, of problem solving. Um, So I guess the advice I would give any listeners who are interested in higher ed and who want to climb the administrative track is to really just identify the skills that you need to move to the next level and make sure you have them. A lot of people think that you shouldn't have any adversity in your career, any challenges. And, you know, a couple times when I was at Stockton, there were incidents that involved the union. And I was thinking, this is such a pain in the neck. Um, (laughs) And as I was interviewing for deanship positions, and I thought, well, if someone asks if I've had any challenges with the union, you know, I'm going to have to describe some incidents that happened, which, you know, weren't big deals. But to me, anything negative seemed like it would be negative. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, how much value would I be to any institution if I didn't have any bumps on me? Right. Because the question is, what were the challenges and how did you get on the other side of them? There you go. And if I have no challenges, then no one knows what I can do. What good am I? Right. So um, I love hearing from my peers and my mentors challenges that they've had, how they got on the other side of them. Those are the best things that they could ever tell me. Um, instead of everything is wonderful and marvelous. Yeah. I like to hear when they felt isolated. I like to hear when they felt challenged or frustrated or, um, you know, any type of issue that they've had and, and how they got on the other side of it, what they had to tell themselves, how they had to be prepared mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you just fall back on the things that you you've learned throughout your career. You know, I attend all these trainings. They have to be worth something at the end of the day. So I try to bring those skills that they talk about and think about how I want the outcome of a certain situation to be and be very thoughtful and deliberate in my actions to make sure that I'm doing the best thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I just think that's wonderful advice and great insight. Um, I talk to a lot of people. It resonates with me because this was true for me early early in my higher ed career that um, I early on I would equate trouble, problems with a bad job. This is a mm-hmm. bad job because I have trouble, as opposed to um, working through those problems gives me the opportunity to have maybe a great job. Doesn't, doesn't mean that it's going to be a great job. Right. But, um, and I became the kind of person that, I was almost afraid of the opportunities where everything almost seemed perfect, Mm -hmm. where it was just so delightful. And I thought, well, what if I go and I'm the person who then messes it all up, right? And so I I began to have an affinity for let's go somewhere where, not that everything is just on fire, but where there are challenges and how how do we as a group yes. address these and begin to um, right the ship and, yes. and put it in a direction. And that's when people get excited and it's they true. feel a sense of And that. it's perspective. You know, I had the worst experience as an employee um, a few years ago. 
And I had a boss that was extremely challenging. I mean, I didn't want to go to work and I was just, everybody felt sorry for me because, um, you know, it was just really, really difficult for me and for my family. And my president um, at the time, he said to me one day, you know, you are not used to things not being perfect and you're not being the shining star all the time. And I said, no, you're right. I'm not because I work really hard. It's not that I think it's owed to me, but why should it be any different? And he just would smirk at me. And it was really difficult. My family was worried about me because I was just so unhappy. And I even had explored changing jobs at the time. Well, I have to tell you, John, that that experience that lasted for about two years was probably the best thing that ever happened to me in terms of my career. Um, The things that I've learned about myself, about how I wanted to be, about how I wanted to respond to things, it, it just was so much growth. And I used to say as I was going through it, you know, I would rather read the book than go through the experience. Right. I said, you know, I'm smart enough that I would understand these lessons, but the truth is, absolutely not. I needed to feel it in my gut. I needed to know about the kind of leader I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And I also needed to learn how to respond to things. So in the past, I guess when I was younger and, you know, not so much younger, the time it would take me to recover from things that I may have felt were um, offensive or, or slights or, you know, just kind of bothered me has shrunken tremendously. So whereas I might ruminate over something that happened during the day and it might take me, you know, a week when I was in my 20s and it would just bother me and and be like a burden on me. Now it's like 10 minutes and I'm like, eh, whatever. Keep it moving. (laughs) I shrug my shoulders. But, you know, I think that for anyone who is in a challenging position where there are people that you necessarily uh, don't have kumbaya moments all the time, you need to change your perspective on it. Mm -hmm. You need to understand that this is a job and you have the opportunity to use skills that you may not have, but now you can develop in how you manage the situation and you manage the relationship. And at the end of the day, you'll be much better. Things don't always stay the same. I would never trade that experience, which I wanted to throw myself off a bridge (laughs) over many times, but I would never trade it. It, I felt like it made me so much stronger and, um, you know, the relationship that I have with that person is amazing because I never crossed the line and lost my temper and was inappropriate or unprofessional. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think we bro- both grew um, as a result of that experience. I, it was amazing. Well, it, <laughs> uh, and I think that's a, that is a real transitional moment for all of us that once we become accustomed to dealing with some of those difficult situations, we sort of develop the scar tissue, you know, it, it, we've been, not that every situation is the same, but the difficulty doesn't um, upset us the same way. It doesn't intimidate us in the same way. Then not only are, are we more adept at it, but then people who are coming behind us in that growth chart can look to us and say, okay, well, Lori seems to be handling it in this way. And that's probably a good example for me. And, 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 you know, we can then be teaching others. So I think it's just an incredibly important lesson. I was much slower learning those lessons (laughs) than you were. 
Lori, thank you for spending the time. Oh, the, thank you for having this me. This was an incredibly um, enlightening time and um, just uh, really enjoy having you on the show. Thanks again. Thanks, John. And we w- wish you continued success with the school and all the things that you're doing. I appreciate it. Thank you.